This is Matt Hurt at Obsessive Viewer on Twitter, and this is ObsessiveViewer.com's The Obsessive Viewer Podcast. Hello and welcome to The Obsessive Viewer. We're a movie and TV podcast uh, that covers a specific topic via genre, trope, movie, or show each episode. You can find more of our work at ObsessiveViewer.com, more of our podcasts at ObsessiveViewer.com slash podcasts, and you can also like us on Facebook and join the Facebook group at Facebook.com slash The Obsessive Viewer. So I'm your host, uh, the aforementioned Matt Hurt, and I'm here with another special edition of the podcast. Uh, it is currently, this is, uh, this is new for, uh, the podcast, but it is 4 a.m. on March 25th, 2020. Um, and, uh, we're embarking upon day seven of the first and dear God, hopefully last ever, uh, COVID-19 film festival sponsored by obsessiveviewer.com. Um, I'm recording this about uh, three hours before I have to work. I'm working from home. Um, my, I'm very fortunate in that my company is deemed an essential business and allows me to work from home. So I am able to still have an income during all of this uh, craziness. Um, so yeah, the COVID-19 Film Festival. Uh, the COVID-19 Film Festival is basically me chronicling all the movies I watch while working from home and quarantining myself during this whole pandemic. Um, I'm presenting these podcast episodes as if I were covering a film festival. Um, I'm going to have special days that are programmed by other hosts, and they may Skype in to record as well, as is the case in this episode. Um so I released the last episode, the first episode of this series of episodes, um, last week, uh, <laughs> after my first day of working from home, I think. I, I, time is a construct now. Um, no, um, I, uh, then I worked in the office Thursday and Friday, and then I worked in the office yesterday, so Tuesday, um, because there's some processing that has to be done in the, in the office that can't be avoided. Um, so, yeah, uh, so yeah, I just want to kind of, uh, bring us back into it. That's why I haven't had, uh, the chance to talk about the weekend programming of a COVID-19 film festival. Um, over the weekend, I watched a bunch of stuff on Amazon Prime. Um, so I'm deeming that Prime weekend. Um, and I'll get to that in a bit. So, um, yeah, so that's what this episode is going to be about. It's going to be about Prime Weekend, um, even though I've had like a couple days after that. So um, anyway, uh, just to run down some stats first before I go into the news of what's going on, just for posterity's sake, really. Um, I intended to record this Sunday night on March 22nd, but I just got overwhelmed. I didn't really feel... Well, not really overwhelmed. I can't use that excuse because... Um, <laughs> uh, everything that's going on. Um, although I was kind of overwhelmed. I, I was more like I was, um, overwhelmed with choices of what to do, um, and what I could do and everything and how to spend my time. It's been crazy. So, um, I intended to record this on March 22nd. Um, and I, what I'm doing with these and this, I don't know if this is detrimental to, um, the state of the world or anything, but just to kind of, chronicle like where we're at and at least here in indiana where i reside 
um, where we're at in terms of the coronavirus. Um, as of March 22nd, uh, we were at 201 positive cases of coronavirus, uh, six deaths, and 1,494 total tested. Um, so that's was March 22nd. Then uh, a day later, um, as of March 23rd, um, this stat is going to be updated uh, here in about six hours. So from this recording, but as of right now, March 25th, uh, uh, at 4 AM, uh, total positive cases in Indiana is 365. Uh, total deaths are 12 and total tested is 2,931. Um, interesting that one of the cases that I just read about yesterday was uh, a Speedway firefighter was uh, tested positive for coronavirus. Uh, Speedway is the town I'm from, where Tiny lives, where I live, where uh, Fecus polices, um, where Kirsten visits sometimes when she comes over to record, Um, and where Ben went to school, uh, where he met uh, Tiny. So a, a Speedway firefighter was was uh, tested positive they have um a handful of firefighters in quarantine now um just kind of crazy and kind of close so that's crazy um the governor of indiana did issue a stay-at-home order um that went into effect about four hours ago uh no what is today today's wednesday yeah so four hours ago um basically that's just you have to stay home except for the, except for leaving for just essential things. So you can go like go to the grocery store, like groceries, pharmacies, all those are still open and everything. Um, but it's just limiting the amount of time that you spend outdoors. Um, and for me, I do have to go into work once a week. Um, so I'm hoping that it's going to be every Tuesday now because Thursday was a freaking mess. But, um, but that, what's interesting is that like that that is kind of nice to have that break in the monotony to actually go in to like leave the apartment and go into work for like a, a few hours or eight hours depending on how long it takes me to do those processes because I can go home afterwards and work from home the rest of the day um but man it's like a ghost town at work it's crazy um since like this is just unprecedented just because the majority of employees at my company are now working from home. And when I go into the office, it is legitimately like a ghost. There's maybe, whereas there were hundreds of people in the building on the floor. Now there's maybe four or five people working, um, in just a sea of empty desks. It's, it's insane. Um, and I do get to kind of close myself off in a focus room and just, you know, be, kind of quarantined myself. So it's while it's nice to get out and go to work and everything, it's not like I'm going to work and socializing with a bunch of people and potentially getting infected or infecting people with this virus. Um, it's like, I am just as isolated there as I am here. So it's, uh, kind of, uh, kind of interesting. That's where I'm at right now, basically. Um, in, in this whole quarantine thing. Um, I have some news items I kind of want to run through just for posterity's sake, like I said. Um, 
these are kind of outdated now. So like this one is from like, I think 20, uh, uh, March 9th, uh, March 19th. Wow. Um, Evangeline Lilly. Holy crap. Um, Evangeline Lilly from Lost and Ant, uh, Ant-Man and Ant-Man and the Wasp and Avengers Endgame. Um, she, like the headline is Evangeline Lilly refuses to self quarantine over coronavirus. Fans call stance dangerous. So basically she went on Instagram and talked and like posted a picture of her kids or something and saying like, Oh, just drop them off at gymnastics. They're smiling. They're happy. And so people were like, uh, aren't, shouldn't you be, you know, kind of quarantining and everything. And she's like, no, we're not going to, we're not going to quarantine or anything. Um, she said that like, she implied that she thought it was a political thing. Like she said like, oh, well, it's all like, there's always something, um, around in an election year. It's like, okay, that's sure. Whatever. But the, th- the kicker of that, the thing that really kind of aggravates me on that front is that she said that she lives with her. She has two kids and her father lives with her and he's in his eighties and he has stage four, four leukemia. Like, I mean, like, why would you not want to keep like yourself healthy if you're in a household with someone that is elderly and, and sick? Like, I don't understand that at all. Um, that is putting, um, that is putting way too much risk on, on someone who is, uh, uh, presumably going through a lot, obviously. So, yeah, so that was really, uh, weird. I love, I love Lost and I, uh, I don't know. I like Evangeline Lily's acting and everything, but holy shit, she seems like an idiot. Um, so, uh, not to get political, I, we say that all the time, but I mean, honestly, this next news piece is just more like, just holy shit. Um, Vanity Fair, Trump, uh, uh, basically, I don't have the headline in front of me, but, uh, basically, Trump was in a press conference, had a press conference where, uh, NBC's Peter Alexander asked him, lobbed him a softball question and asked him like, Hey, what do you say to people that are afraid right now? Like what, what message of comfort do you have for the, for the American public and everything? And he's like, I think that's a nasty question. And I think that it's, I I think that you're a nasty reporter and everything. It's like, you literally had one chance. Like this was a, a fucking, like a, a softball. Like all you had to say was something comforting and everything or something like, presidential but no you can't because you're a fucking idiot um sorry so anyway um it's to the point where i just i i can't stand the administration him anything it's it's ridiculous and on that note uh the kind of this is old news now because hopefully people aren't this stupid but uh he referred to it as the chinese virus and um idiots that are following him uh did that too. I actually lost a Facebook friend because he, uh, he posted a, he shared a post that said the Spanish flu has been called the Spanish flu for 107 years. Why is it suddenly racist to call the China virus, China virus? And so like I had responded and said like, well, uh, the Spanish flu was called the Spanish flu because in World War One, Spain was neutral and was able to, uh, and their papers weren't censored. So they were able to report authentic, like, stats and, and information about the flu. 
Um, that's how it got its nickname. It's, it wasn't originated in Spain. And at the time, uh, like it's, uh, uh, and like in the idea of calling it, calling COVID-19 or the coronavirus, the Chinese virus puts a stigma on it that causes moral, moron racists to attach an enemy to like what they're going through. So there is, you know, harassment against Asian Americans, not even just Chinese Americans, just Asian Americans, because again, racism is fucking ridiculous. And it's like, I've seen like tweets and stuff about how like, Oh, like, um, there was one tweet about this woman who was taking her trash out and then, uh, she passed by a guy and he scoffed at her or something and said like, yeah, like basically, confronted her and made her feel very unsafe because she was she's an asian american um and in his stupid small dick brain i don't know what small dick brain is a thing anyway um he uh just attached an enemy to this whole thing and that's that's not constructive anyway so i posted that on uh, like i commented on uh this guy i went to high school with his post about it and then someone it, while i was typing that out someone else on his friends list had said said basically the same thing and then he had said <laughs> uh his response to that was watch out the facebook police are here because they're experts and like i was like you literally shared a post where you literally, you shared a post that literally asks why it's racist to call it the Chinese virus. And you're getting upset when people are telling you why it's racist to call it the Chinese virus. <laughs> and, uh, and then he deleted the thread because, of course, anyone that's fucking posting stupid shit like that and get called out on it are cowards. Uh, and then deleted me from his friends list. So, um, I don't think he's a listener, but if he is, fuck you, unsubscribe. So, Next up, uh, the new Michael, to get into actual movie and TV stuff, if you guys are still listening, um, the new Michael Showalter directed movie starring Kumail Nanjiani and Issa Rae, uh, The Lovebirds will head straight to Netflix. It was announced a few days ago, um, or maybe late last week, I think, um, yeah, there's no release date or anything. I've, like there are, there have been so many postponements and changes and everything that this is a very small, like, I, I can't really say for certain, like, um, I can't keep up with it essentially is what I'm, what I'm getting at. So yeah, that's the most recent one that's on my, on my list. So that's going to hit the lovebirds is going to hit Netflix at some point. Maybe we'll do a review of it. Um, it'll, it'll be fun. So next up is there was an, article from David Ehrlich at uh, IndieWire about movie theaters and how their value, uh, like how they still have value and will have value after this crisis is over. So I'll put a link in the show notes. Check that out just to give a shout out to that article. Um, a couple other things. Uh, the Walking Dead spinoff, The Walking Dead World uh, World Beyond, uh, has been pushed by AMC because of coronavirus-related uh, production shutdowns. So, like, these, this show and then also the flagship Walking Dead show, The Walking Dead, uh, it was announced that their finale, their season 10 finale, will not air until, like, like their, their, their episode that will air on April 15th will be their last episode until this crisis is over and everything. Um, which I think that is supposed to be like the penultimate episode. So the actual finale won't air until later in the year as a special episode. And that's specifically because the, all the shutdowns and everything are causing post-production houses to just shut down. And like, they're not able to actually do 
like post production on 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 stuff that's been filmed and shot and everything. Um yeah, so that's uh kind of crazy. Finally, and this is kind of uh this is interesting. So Harvey Weinstein uh who is currently in prison, he was he by the way, we didn't really talk about it on the podcast, but he uh was convicted of rape and sexual assault and some other charges, I think. Um and sentenced to 23 years in prison. And he, uh, while in prison, has tested positive for coronavirus. Um, so I saw a really great tweet. I think it was from Brian Lynch. Uh, he said, in other news, uh, coronavirus hired a PR team this weekend. <laughs> because Harvey Weinstein is a fucking monster. Um, so yeah, so that, that's what's going on recently and everything. Um, yeah, so I'll have more next time, I think. I don't know. Anyway, uh, let's get into the actual film festival stuff. So COVID-19 Film Festival, as I said, it's my way of coping with the fact that we are stuck indoors for the foreseeable future and everything is uh, on fire. So COVID-19 Film Festival is basically me just talking about the movies that I watch while working from home and in quarantine and everything. And over the past weekend... I, the, they were days four and five of my self-isolation and everything. Um, I did go out once to get, uh, medicine and, um, uh, a Brita filter. So that's actually really good. Um, but for the most part, I stayed indoors the whole time. Uh, realistically, not really that different from, from my usual routine. Although that's not true. So like I live alone, which I'm, First of all, this whole thing, I am so happy that I live alone because cabin fever. Um, and I'm so like, I, I, my heart goes out to those of you who have kids during this whole thing. Cause first of all, it's scary, obviously. But second of all, like just having to entertain can, kids like with no break or anything, like that has to be just insanely stressful and everything. So I'm really thankful that I don't have any kids <laughs> and that I live alone. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah. And, and also cannot be more thankful that I, like, even though I don't really understand why my company is deemed an essential business, um, although I kind of understand it, but not really. Um, I'm very thankful that I have, you know, a paycheck. Like I'm, I'm getting, I'm able to earn an income during all of this. So, yeah. Um, anyway, COVID-19 Film Festival. So <laughs> days four and five were over the weekend, Saturday and Sunday. Um, I decided to make the weekend, uh, prime video weekend where I was, wa- I, I had planned to watch like four movies on Amazon Prime, but then I got kind of caught up watching, uh, uh, Watchmen <laughs> on HBO, which I'll, you'll hear me talk to tiny about later in this episode. Um, but I, I ended up only watching three movies on prime on Amazon prime video. Um, by the way, shout out to heartland film festival, heartlandfilm.org. They're doing, um, quarantine, uh, recommendations and stuff. So they've been doing like they did. They had a blog post that recommended a bunch of movies from criterion channel. And they just recently posted one that has a bunch of recommendations from Amazon prime. So check that out. I'll put a link in the show notes of this episode, of course. So anyway, I ended up watching three movies on Amazon prime. And then, so I'm going to run down those three movies and then we'll get to the spotlight. Um, 
review, which is me and Tiny talking about HBO's Watchmen season one, which I think is the only season that it will ever have. So um, here we go. So first up, the first movie I watched on Prime Video was Jane Silent Bob Reboot. All right, you motherfuckers. I know you're in there. Come out right now. Stop the motherfucking plan. So, of course, I'll do non-spoilers for all of these. So, um, Jane Silent Bob reboot. Um, this was a tough one. I, it's such an interesting place that it put me in because I, I've, I've enjoyed Kevin Smith's work in the past. Like I, like in the, in the late nineties, early two thousands, really early two thousands, I think when I hit high school, um, I just, I loved Kevin Smith's aesthetic, his, his kind of slacker energy and very kind of slacker wisecracking stuff. Like I am one of maybe a handful of like, I'm, I'm among the legion of cult followers for mall rats. I, I really enjoyed that movie. Um, and I liked clerks a lot and, uh, Chasing Amy, I still think is one of the best romantic comedies or romantic dramas I've seen. Um, granted, I haven't seen it in a while, but yeah. Um, other movies like Dogma and, uh, um, Tusk, um, weren't really to my liking that much, but for the most part, I have really enjoyed Kevin Smith's work. Um, as far as the View Universe, um, his kind of interconnected thing, um, Jane Silent Bob Strike Back, when it came out in 2001, was a movie that I kind of was mixed on. Like, I liked it when I was a kid, but as, as I grow older, um, I just kind of, it's, it's just kind of too silly and too just, too silly, really. Um, but I enjoyed the, um, uh, kind of the sat- satirization of Hollywood and everything. Like the whole, like James Vanderbeek and, and Jason Biggs's cameos in it are astounding. Like they're fantastic. I love the section that's, uh, <laughs> that's, uh, uh, Goodwill Hunting 2, Hunting Season. That is one of the funniest things, uh, in Kevin Smith's entire oeuvre. Um, so that's 2001. <laughs> Uh, so in 2019, he released Jane Silent Bob Reboot, and I haven't kept my ear to the ground too much on Kevin Smith's career or anything. He, he filmed this after he had his heart attack. Um, and as far as late, like later Kevin Smith movies, like Red State, I think is phenomenal. Um, it took me a couple of viewings to really appreciate. Uh, Tusk, I thought was just kind of wasted squandered an opportunity i thought it was it, it's interesting that it's like the first movie that's inspired by a podcast um but i really just i took a lot of issue with the representation of podcasters in the movie which is i mean it's a stupid hill to die on for me but i it was just like okay that's it's just shock jock radio like that's in calling it podcast and it's just it felt like it just didn't feel like it was, I, I didn't feel represented guys. So, um, also I just felt like it was just weird. I did really like Michael Parks's performance in it though. Um, 
So that's something, but I mean, he did a much better job in red state, in my opinion. Never saw yoga hosers because I just, I literally had zero interest in seeing it, especially after Tusk. Like, I just, I, like that killed any interest I had in this true North trilogy thing that he's doing or was doing. I don't know if he's still planning on that. So Jane Silent, all that's to say that Jane Silent Bob reboot kind of came out completely under the, under, under the radar for me. Um, I don't remember if it had like a wide release. I feel like it didn't. I think that there was like a fathom events thing or something. Cause I remember being at the movie theater one time for, I don't remember what movie I was seeing, but I remember seeing like the, the, um, one of the auditoriums in the theater had Jane Silent Bob reboot. And I was like, Oh, okay. That is a thing. And it's out now. So I sat down and watched it. Um, Saturday morning, I think. Um, I didn't like it. It's, it's, it was, there was nothing in it for me, really. Um, it's pretty terrible. Like, I, I think that I've, on one hand, I think that I've outgrown Kevin Smith's kind of brand of stoner comedy stuff, which I was never really into that much, but I kind of felt like it was at least clever in those early movies. Here, it's just kind of, sad um to be honest and maybe that's because the culture that we're in like it was like it was novel in in the late 90s and early 2000s to have like a stoner duo like going on stoner-esque adventures and stuff um like that maybe it was it was novel at the time because it was maybe a little bit like um uh morally ambiguous i would say in in the culture but now that, you know, weed is pretty much legal all over the country <laughs> and it has been destigmatized and everything, I just kind of feel like, okay, this, there's nothing in this for me. It's like watching, it's like watching a couple of functioning alcoholics stumble upon, uh, stumble into an adventure, uh, into a weekly written adventure, honestly. And like, it does nothing for me. So. Yeah, so so that was that was kind of where I came at it at the out, at the at the outset. Wow. Um one of the bigger issues I have with it though is that it it aims to satirize reboots and remakes and the reboot culture that we're in. And it does a pretty decent job of illustrating its point or or I wouldn't even say illustrating its point, but uh what I'll say is telling us directly and when I mean directly, I mean, when I say directly, I mean, like, looking directly into the camera and breaking the fourth wall, which is something that I thought was charming in, like, Jane Silent Bob Strike Back, but here it just, it is too much, and it's too, like, it's too much, like, pleading for a reaction, and I was just like, you're just rehashing old stuff and calling attention to how Hollywood rehashes old stuff while you rehash old stuff, like, don't nod to the camera like it's something clever it's just it's literally copy and paste um which is which is what was kind of infuriating to me in, in a uh in a few scenes because it is literally like there's a scene like there's a scene that is is just absolutely the exact same scene from strike back which is intentional but it's also like it's not, it's not funny to me. It's, it's the exact same thing that he did 18 years ago, which sure it's the point, but it's just, it's, it comes across as incredibly too lazy and, and like too much fan service. Like when, 
we talk about fan service as a pejorative toward like movies and stuff. Um, it is when I say that, I mean it as like nostalgia has its place. Like you can be, you can create art that is nostalgic for the past, but when it veers into just like just playing to the cheap, the, to the cheap seats. Wow. I sound like Trump, um, to the cheap seats. Um, just playing to the cheap seats and just doing like just paying homage to what you did before that your viewers are fans of like that. There's nothing new to that. Like it's just, it's, it's weird. I don't, I don't like it. It's, I don't know. It just seems just kind of lame to me. Um, I'll read a little blurb from Letterboxd that I wrote because um, I'm losing steam. So it would be interesting to look at reboot from the perspective of comparing modern pop pop culture to the state of comic book movies and general nerddom in 2001. But Smith doesn't like care to comment on how pop culture has changed um, and has wholly embraced comic book culture in the 18 years since Jane Silent Bob strike back. And that's something that like, there's a little bit of commentary there about that, but it's just such a far cry. Like the world, the culture, pop culture has changed so much since even since Clerks 2 with the kind of Lord of the Rings versus Star Wars kind of debate and everything. Um, it's changed so much. And what Jane Silent Bob reboot feels like it's aiming to do or trying to do is it's trying to reclaim that sentiment from 18 years ago. That is for all intents and purposes, dead now in 2019. And it's like, I, this could have been a more interesting movie if it tackled like more modern pop culture isms, like, like, e- like even internet culture, like, like social media fan service, fandom, toxic fandom and everything, which is something that he touched on in Clerks too, with, like I said, with the Star Wars and Lord of the Rings thing. <laughs> Again, it's 4.30 a.m. Um, but he just doesn't care to do that here. And that's a, a bummer. Um, I will say that his daughter, uh, Harley Smith, or, oh my God, Harley Quinn Smith is, uh, she's really good as Millie in it. Um, and she has this arc with Jay Muse that is actually like, actually pretty endearing. Um, frankly, it belonged in a better movie. Um, and I really enjoyed the, uh, <laughs> To a point, I enjoyed Ben Affleck's appearance as uh, Holden McNeil, like the the kind of fan service, I'll say it, uh, to Chasing Amy. I enjoyed that whole section. Um, it was pretty good, but it also just felt like I I have no allegiance to these characters anymore. Like I just I just don't. It just feels like I. It just felt lifeless to me. Like I just it wasn't engaging to me because I've grown as a person as a viewer of movies. And I don't know if that's snobby or what, or if it's a fault of Kevin Smith for not making an engaging movie to reel me back in, but it just, it felt just dry and not funny. Um, so yeah, so that's Jane Silent Bob reboot. I rated it one star on, uh, Letterboxd and I completely forgot to read the plot summary from IMDb. So I guess I won't do that this, this episode. So anyway, um, that's Jane Silent Bob reboot. It is available to stream on Amazon Prime. So if you want to watch it while you're quarantined, um, and tell me how wrong I am, please do. <laughs> what I mainly felt watching the film, and I felt it all the way through, was why didn't we do this? We would have had such a big hit. 
Galaxy Quest is the best Star Trek movie. What if aliens thought that William Shatner was real? A lot of Galaxy Quest is the truth about Star Trek. It really does feel like a Trek movie because it has all the hallmarks of what makes a Trek movie work, which is never give up, never surrender. Like, you can overcome sort of any problem. Patrick saw it and was blown away by it. And uh, what did he say? I love this film. Okay, so next up um, is Never Surrender, a Galaxy Quest documentary. Uh, it was from 2019, and uh, plot summary, courtesy of IMDb. Filmmakers and stars discuss the filming and social effects of Galaxy Quest, a comedic takeoff of Star Trek with brilliant commentary not only on the Star Trek series, but on the real-life actors themselves. So Galaxy Quest is a movie that I really appreciate. Um, I saw it pretty late. Like, it's not something that I, that I watched when it came out, I think in 2000. Um, but I watched it within the last, like, probably four or five years for the first time. Um, and I've watched it a couple times since. It's a really charming, really fun movie that is not the, uh, family style, like, uh, comedy, goofy comedy that it was marketed as in, in the early, early 2000s. It's, it actually has a lot more, to it and it's a lot it's just it's a lot of fun especially if you if you uh watched star trek um the original series specifically um and if you have any experience with just fan conventions like nerd culture conventions and stuff it's it's a really interesting movie um and entertaining and has a surprising amount of heart also the cast is incredible um tim allen sigourney weaver alan rickman um 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 oh my god why do i always always uh blank on his name sam rockwell uh justin long rain wilson has a small role in it um uh for the lost point fans of the podcast um flashpoints enrico i can't remember his last name um he is in it as well um it's it's just a really good like fun heartfelt comedy um it's it's really good. So Never Surrender is a documentary about the movie. And what I appreciate about this documentary is that it starts out, it does start out by kind of going into depth about the Star Trek-ness of it and how Star Trek in, influenced it and how it is basically like the best Star Trek movie or one of the, one of the better Star Trek movies and everything, despite not being a Star Trek movie, of course. Um, so it goes into that and it talks a little bit about Star Trek's legacy and everything. And I'll admit, I, I kind of started to lose a little bit of interest, um, early on because I was, I, I kind of wanted more about, more about like the making and insight into Galaxy Quest, which is fortunate because immediately after that, like that section, it goes into depth about the making of Galaxy Quest, the trib, the trials and tribulations that came up. Um, they talk about how Harold Ramis was attached to direct and how that kind of fell apart a little bit. And it talked about they, they talked about getting Tim Allen on board and the, I do want to say, so, so they have a lot of interviews with the cast and, and, uh, the crew and everything. And the director of the movie, um, I'm blanking on his name now, but he, he kind of comes across as kind of a little gruff, I guess. Um, yeah, I guess that, that, that's the polite way to say it. But it's funny because it's like he has like, there's like no nonsense or anything. Like he's very candid about it. And it just kind of seems like kind of like he, he, I don't know. Maybe, I, I don't know. I don't want to put too much into it, but it just seems like he just comes from a place of 
just kind of being a little disgruntled about things, not necessarily about the movie itself or making, making galaxy quest, but it just seems like he was just kind of a little rougher on the edges kind of guy. Um, and kind of director, which is kind of contrast by the, uh, interviews and how it's like, Oh, we were making a really fun movie and it was a lot of fun. So I don't know, but I, I got the impression that he didn't really have a lot to say about the movie or, uh, it didn't really care as much about the movie as the rest of the people that were interviewed for the, for the documentary were. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's a really well put together documentary. It's, it's charming. It will make you realize just how much you love galaxy quest. If you even have a modicum of enjoyment of the movie, like it'll maybe give you a new appreciation for it. Um, it's, it's not, it doesn't play up any dramatic things. Like, it, like that's something I appreciate in these types of documentaries. It's just celebrating it more than anything. It's celebrating it and it's celebrating it with factual, like accounts of, of the making of it and everything and, and the appeal that it has to its fan base and everything. And I just, I appreciate that as a celebratory kind of documentary that that's a, it's a solid effort in that case. Um, it does get a little heartfelt with talking about Alan Rickman, who of course has passed away, um, uh, before the documentary was made. Um, it does get a little heartfelt, but it doesn't get too like wrapped up in, in like eulogizing him or anything like they, it just feels very sincere. Like the things that they say about him and about, uh, how they felt about his, his work and, and his passing. Um, so I appreciated that. I will say that there, there's at least two points in the documentary where, um, they talk about Alan Rickman, like clearly not, I don't know if I would say not gelling with, with the rest of the cast, but especially like his, I want to stop short of saying his animosity toward Tim Allen, but, uh, just his, his disdain for Tim Allen, I guess. Uh, they talk a lot about that. It's very charming just the way that they talk about it. Cause they talk about it in reverence to his, to his, um, talent to, to Alan Rickman's talent and everything and him being on like just another level in terms of acting from, from the rest of the cast. But there's a couple of times in the documentary where people like stop, like they, they stop themselves from talking and they say like, Okay, I don't, I don't think Alan would mind if I said this. And then they kind of tell an anecdote about a time, like, like something that Alan Rickman said on set that could be construed as him being a dick. Um, and I just, I really appreciate, I was very charmed by that. Um, and the anecdotes were really good. Um, yeah, I, I enjoyed that. So it does, it goes into the, production of the movie and it's like all that is really interesting to me and i really i gained a lot of insight for it uh insight into the movie from that um then kind of the last part of the documentary is how it uh affects its fan base like how there is a cult following for galaxy quest people dress up in cosplay they go to screenings and everything they kind of play it up like like it is like a Rocky horror picture show kind of thing or the room, um, which I don't think it's necessarily like that. Like it's obviously it's not like a hokey, like um, hate watch kind of thing. Like the room, it's obviously a very, it's a well-made movie and everything. It's just talking about just the, um, the fandom surrounding it and the, um, how much it, it gives to the fans in terms of, 
uh, giving them a voice and making them feel heard and making them feel noticed and everything. And just finding, you know, common commonality between the story and, um, the fan base. And I, I really thought that that was, that was a really kind of heartfelt moment for the movie. It kind of felt a little bit tacked on. Um, it's kind of, it's kind of a framing device for us. Like we start out the documentary by being introduced to these fans who, who dress up in cosplay and are kind of obsessed with Galaxy Quest. And it's charming. It's very, it's very much heartwarming and everything. And then by the end, they kind of come back to that and they, uh, kind of follow up with that thread for the documentary. It, it's, it feels a little bit rough just, just in terms of structure for the documentary, but it's, it's fine nonetheless. Like it, it's, it's, uh, it's a well done documentary. I rated it three stars on, three stars on Letterboxd. Um, it is available on Amazon Prime, as I said. So check that out. It's Never Surrender, a Galaxy Quest documentary. And it was released in 2019, I believe. So my third and final, uh, movie for, uh, COVID-19 Film Festival Days 4 and 5, Amazon Prime Weekend is 2018's Thunder Road. Honey, honey, I, I'm really not going to be good at this kind of stuff. Yeah. You want me to leave the light on in the hallway for you? It's fine. All right. I'm going to bed, honey. Good night. I love you. Uh, plot description courtesy of IMDb. A police officer faces a personal meltdown following a divorce and the death of his mother. So this movie was written, directed, stars, um, Jim Cummings, who gives what I think is one of the best performances I've seen in a, in, in quite a long time in this movie. Um, and I'm really sad or upset with myself that I, uh, missed out on seeing this at Heartland Film Festival in 2018. And I heard it got rave reviews and everything, um, coming out of the fe- festival circuit and everything. Um, and so I finally got a chance to watch it and good God, it's, it's incredible. It's really good. So, um, for those who don't know, Thunder Road began its life in, in 2016. There was a short film that Jim Cummings made. Um, that was Thunder Road. It was a 12, I believe the short film was also this, but, um, a 12 minute single take where he is eulog, the character is eulogizing his mom at the funeral. And that's how this movie opens up. It is a, like, it's a, it's about a 10 to 12 minute long single take. And the range of emotions that Jim Cummings goes through in this scene and the way that he just introduces us to the character, introduces us to the nuances of the character, the emotional crisis of the character, and the grief that he's feeling, the just raw grief that he's feeling, is absolutely remarkable. Like, it is phenomenal. I, I can't speak highly enough about this opening scene of the movie. It just draws us into it, and it's so... It's got tinges of like dark comedy and and kind of uh, it's 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 weird but 
it is so informing of the character. Like it is, it is just brilliant characterization. It, it's just really incredible. Like little nuances there where like throughout it, he's like, he's apologizing to, uh, to someone off screen in like, he is very wrapped up in like the emotional crisis that he's, that he's feeling. It's just, it's really incredible. Um, and that's our introduction to the movie. <laughs> And it's just, it's really just, it, it is a, it is, it just reels you in so fast and so hard. And it's, it's remarkable. I, I absolutely love this opening scene. And the rest of the movie follows that brilliantly, in my opinion. Um, again, just the nuance of the character and, and this crisis that he's going through. Um, it is so well realized that I'm, I'm like, I wrote on Letterboxd and I'm nearly at a loss for words. Um, uh, I did. So, so this is kind of like the, the, the pull quote from my Letterboxd review. Uh, this is a movie that lives in a state of chaotic empathy and brings you into its world in such an immersive way that it's almost overwhelming. So the entire movie is this character who is going through a crisis. He is an emotionally, I don't want to say emotionally unstable. He is, he's just a grieving character who is going through this emotional crisis um, from several different fronts. And the way that Jim Cummings just just lays it all out there is remarkable. It is it is so incredible to see this this uh this performance, the writing, the directing, everything. Like the directing is is phenomenal. Like even like the cinematography and like the framing of the shots and everything, there's no like it's very cohesive. It's very matter of fact. It's very just kind of straightforward without much flair. Like as far as like when I say that, I, I mean that as like there's not anything that's it's relying on the performances and what's on screen to really tell the story. Um, and it's not doing any quick cuts or flourishes or anything like like that 12 minute um, opening scene and then there's another long take later in the film it's just it's slowly zooming in on him and it's just it's a simple technique but it informs so much of what the character is doing and that's like one of the only times where the camera really guides us in telling the story because it's mostly performance based and the performances are astounding just just gobsmacked by this movie um, the way that the character goes through and, and has these bits of rage, these bottled up bits of rage is so authentic and visceral. Like I, it took me back to like when I've gone through times in my life where like I'm grieving and I'm in a, an emotional crisis and everything. Like it's no secret. Like, f- Oh God, uh, four years ago, uh, four years ago last month, my dad passed away. And during that time, like my family was in chaos. Like it was like legitimately like everything was just in chaos. Um, and just like th- this movie took me back to that, not in a way that felt like, like I wasn't emotionally, um, I wasn't emotionally overwhelmed by this or wasn't taken back to it, but it was just, I felt like such a connected, uh, such a connection to the character that Jim Cummings was portraying that I just, it felt like a, um, a bond between viewer and, 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 uh, and character. It was just, it was a really good movie. Um, yeah, 
Uh, that's Thunder Road. It's uh, from 2018. I rated it four stars on Letterboxd. And uh, uh, the director, Jim Cummings, actually liked my review on Letterboxd. Um, but yeah, that's that's Thunder Road. It's available on Amazon Prime. Uh, four stars, 2018. Yes. <sighs> okay, so now it is 4.50. Wow, I have time to kill. Um, nice. Um, <laughs> before work. Uh, but I am hungry, so I need to get breakfast. So the spotlight review for this episode is actually pretty special because, uh, a couple nights ago, I finished watching the first season of Watchmen on HBO. And knowing that Tiny had previously watched it, I asked him if he would jump on, uh, jump on his computer and talk to me over the internet about it. So, uh, Tiny Skyped in, I, not necessarily Skyped it, Google Hangouts, but you know, Skype is kind of ubiquitous anyway. So anyway, um, he Skyped in to talk to me about Watchmen season one. Uh, yeah, and that's been recorded, so I'm just gonna go ahead and throw it to that. We talk a little bit. I don't know how much of that I'm going to have to cut down and edit out, but, uh, we talked a lot about, like, what we're doing in terms of how we're dealing with all of this COVID-19 stuff, and, uh, yeah, that was another thing. I saw a stupid freaking post that was like, uh, someone, again, someone I knew from high school, um, saying some, something, I don't remember exactly what her whole post was, but it was basically like downplaying the seriousness of the situation and everything. But she said like, what I, and I don't know if this is a joke or not. I don't know if she was joking, but she said like COVID-19, what happened to COVID one through 18? Like, that's not what it is anyway. Um, anyway, so tiny and I talked about the quarantine and self-isolation and stuff and how we're handling it, how he's handling it. And, uh, then we talked about Watchmen season one. So I'm going to throw it to that recording. Uh, thank you guys so much for listening and enjoy this chat with tiny about Watchmen on HBO, which I know that this is Amazon prime weekend, but technically I watched it on Amazon prime because I have HBO as an, as a channel, as an add-on channel, so it technically works. So here's my, uh, it technically comes together there. But uh, here's my chat with Tiny about Watchmen Season 1. All right, so I'm here with Tiny. Tiny, uh, Tiny, you there? Just I'm here. Good. Yes, still alive. Yes, Thank still, God. still alive. Right. Thank God. Uh, how are you holding up? <coughs> I'm doing <coughs> okay. Oh Jesus Christ! Um, I'm kidding. Okay. Um, you're kidding. Okay, good, good. Wait, is joking a side effect of COVID nineteen? Probably. Check the internet. Shit. I, yeah, I tweeted. Um, <laughs> I, I tweeted. I I made for dinner Friday night. I think I had um, hot pockets and chocolate milk. Nice. Um, and I tweeted. I'm having hot pockets and chocolate milk for for dinner. It, does anyone know if the side effects for or a symptom of COVID nineteen is regression to when you're twelve years old? <laughs> for real, that's a total college meal. Yes, it was delicious too. It was it was really delicious. Nice. Um, <clears throat> yeah. So I've already talked in this episode probably about all of my work stuff. Um, how are you holding up? Like, what's going on over at Casa de Ramian? Oh, you know, not much. Uh, Paige is working from home uh, indefinitely, basically. So uh, she's got a really sweet setup. She's got like a double screen thing going on. Nice. Um, 
in the office. So it's basically just like she's at work. Um, mm-hmm. They got her a dock for her laptop and stuff. So oh, it's awesome. Yeah, she, she's like, yeah, it's basically just like I didn't even leave. So um, that's good. And then, uh, unfortunately, uh, my job mm-hmm. was designated as essential. Um, <sighs> if you heard, heard us joking earlier. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm pretty much going to keep on heading out to the world and doing work. Ugh. So that's yeah that is rough that is very rough how are you feeling about that uh you know i feel okay i actually agree with that designation like i think our job is essential um for those who don't know i work on fire alarm systems Mm -hmm. and you know if there's an apartment building where people live that fire system needs to work because people live there and sleep there and or you know god forbid it's at a hospital or a medical facility obviously we need that stuff to work so uh i i understand that designation and i don't disagree with it but Mm -hmm. uh uh, you know, just just a little worried about catching that bug. So yeah, I yeah. I feel you. Um, are you like how how are you in terms of fearing the actual virus and everything? I mean, a little bit because uh, I think I've mentioned it on the podcast. I am a diabetic, mm. and I had asthma growing up. I've kind of like grown out of it, but still, like I feel like it's not a good thing that I had that growing up. So right, that's. Two two things that kind of worry me a little bit more. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I was more worried about my parents. They were down in Florida for the whole week. Yeah, did did they <sighs> make it back? Yes, I picked them up last night. Oh, thank um, God. Yeah, at the airport. So, yeah, they're fine. So, yeah. Nice. Well, that's good. Did you yell at them or? <laughs> <laughs> I did not. Um, okay. They they also said that they're pretty much gonna pretty much gonna self quarantine for the next two weeks. Nice. So. Well, they're, is, they're both retired. Uh, no, my dad still works, oh, okay. uh, but uh, he he loves his job. So, nice. um, what does he do again? He works for the Speedway Redevelopment Commission. That's right. Yeah, he loves okay. it. It's cool. Nice. So he's got the, he's got the scoop on everything going on in the town. Very nice. Yep. So, well, we'll, ha- we'll cool. have to start sp- Speedway podcast. No, the Speedway. I don't know. Speedway redevelopcast. Speedway read Velocast. That doesn't no, that doesn't work. We'll work on it. We'll, 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 we'll get there. We will. We will. Um, <laughs> but also, um, like all the places I had to go to work at like mm-hmm. last week were really cool. Like um like I had to go to a couple schools and obviously they're just a ghost town right mm-hmm. now. So like that's good, even though I have to go out into the world, like most of the most of the places I went to I wasn't interacting with more than like one or two people. So wow. I mean nice. I think that's probably gonna be the norm. For, mm-hmm. for a while so I'm, I'm actually not overly worried you know yeah i yeah. uh i'm back and forth like i'm not necessarily worried that much what i'm worried about are like if i catch it and it gets to the point where i need to actually miss work or anything like i have like half my pto left um mm. and like i'm thinking like you know maybe under the circumstances they should like let us slide on that right um, but uh, my other concern is my mom and my sister who is due to give birth in like two weeks. Oh, wow. Yeah. And, uh, it sucks for them because they all live together. My mom, my sister, her two kids, her unborn kid and her husband. Wow. Yeah. And I won't go into much detail, but my mom, uh, did I tell you that I told you about, Oh, what 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 was it that I told you about? Um, uh, she wanted to go, like she was, she wanted to go run errands or something, and I was like, no, mom, you you can't. 
right um, just stay home you're 68 years old you're diabetic you have respiratory problems like right. stay home that's all you have to do so yeah but my mom has been stressing me out with stuff and everything not necessarily the last couple of days but uh i don't know did you I guys think a lot of, oh, a lot of us millennials are going through that yes yes yeah, um a lot of people with boomer parents are having the same worries yeah there was there was a great like meme or something where um something was like everyone needs to needs to get control of their parents they're they're out at the they're out out at the supermarket high-fiving and like (laughs) everything and i'm just like yeah that's that's fucking accurate like well we've had to like anytime we go anywhere we have to like for work mm -hmm. uh we have to call ahead and make sure that like we can get in and like they haven't changed changed their policy since this morning you know or whatever right um and so, like, I've been talking to all these customers, and for whatever reason, I've been get, getting sent like to the eastern part of the state for whatever reason. Okay. So, like, like Connorsville and Richmond and mm. Newcastle areas wow. like that, and um, they're not quite as worried about it out there as oh. as you know. And so, like, like this one guy, I called him, and I deal with a lot of like you know, kind of blue collar like mm. maintenance guys and stuff like that. Sure. And uh, this guy out in Richmond. Um, you know, I called him and he was, I was like, Hey, you know, are, am I able to get access to your facility tomorrow? And he was like, yeah, yeah, sure. Why not? Yeah. And I was like, I was like, yeah, we just had several customers, you know, worried about the virus. So he's like, Oh no, I, I ain't worried about that. You, you ain't got that crony bug, do you? Oh God. He had like that Hoosier drawl. Like, Oh wow. I'm, I'm from the South, but I'm actually from Richmond. Right. Accent. Yeah. He's like, you ain't got that crony bug, do you? I was oh, like, God, no, no, sir. I don't. I- so. I I don't know because you know people can be can not show symptoms for like two weeks, but, but you know. right, um, right, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> did he did he did you make sure to tell him that uh, he needs to make sure that he washes his hands? <laughs> uh, I have heard that word wash a few oh, times. Yeah, wash um, with an R in it. <laughs> uh, but yeah. Oh, and it and this would be a good segue. Um, at least he didn't call it the Chinese virus. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> yeah, for real. Yeah. Oh God. The internet. Oh, yeah. people. I hate it so much. I'll probably talk about that in earlier in the recording. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> I keep petting pizza. Um, anyway. So yeah, we're a movie and TV podcast though. Hey guys. Yeah. Uh, oh, good times. Um, have <laughs> you, so have you guys went out anywhere? Like have you, like, are you guys isolating yourselves as well? Um, Paige is pretty good. She hasn't really like, she has not been in a public place in over a week. Nice. Um, yeah, but we like, we got, we've gotten carry out a handful of times. Mm. And, uh, like last night, we drove downtown to get, um, a pizza on Mass Ave. Oh, okay. And, um, uh, and like we went through downtown and it was like, I've never seen downtown that abandoned oh, ever. It's crazy. Like for a Saturday night, I was, mm. I was just blown away, uh, which it made me, it made me hopeful because, you yeah. know, there's a lot of people not taking this seriously. But, right. um, and, you know, I'm worried about like a full shutdown, you know, full, uh, quarantine or whatever yeah. um but if, if people keep doing that i you know we may not have to we may not have to do a full shutdown right so, we'll see yeah yeah i agree I, on uh tuesday when i got my laptop um 
to work remote, I had to go into the office to actually set it up to work remote, and I didn't want to do that. Like, I didn't want to go into the office Wednesday morning and do it just to go home Wednesday and work during the day. Um, yeah. So I went Tuesday night, and uh, the the route that I take to work passes by a school with a full, like, you know, soccer field. I almost said court. Um, <laughs> and uh, passed by it about 7 o'clock on a Tuesday night, uh, fully engaged in a full-on soccer game. Spectators, oh, wow. cheerleaders, like, everything was normal. And I was like, oh, Damn. neat. Yeah. Yeah. Jeez. Um, but yeah, so, uh, uh, let's see what else. Um, oh, okay. So have you, like, you've had to work your normal shifts and everything, right? Mm hmm. Yep. That kind of sucks. Um, yeah, yeah, no, yeah, it's whatever. Yeah. And you had to drive all the way to Richmond, which is like on the other side of the state and you still didn't yep. listen to my episode. <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't. Oh, that's fine. Um, but have you watched anything in the, uh, time that we've been, you know, incarcerated in our homes? Social distancing. Yes. Um, I did. Yeah. I actually oh, watched, nice. uh, I, I watched Contagion. Oh, not um, me too. Uh, yeah. yeah. That you watched it. Was that your first time watching it? Uh, it was my second time watching it. And if you want to know what I thought of it, check out the last episode. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I couldn't remember. I saw that like on that you had posted it, but I couldn't remember mm -hmm. if it was a written written review or an episode. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, because I did yeah. make it the cover art. Right. right. Um, yeah. Was this your first time watching Contagion? No, I actually I actually own it. Oh, on, nice. I was a huge fan of it when it came out. I thought it was so good. Um, nice. And I still I think it's just as good now as, as it was uh, in 2011 or mm -hmm. whatever when it came out. Uh, obviously very prescient. Yes. Oh, <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, but uh, the, it's fun, the funny the technical consultant for the movie mm -hmm. um i can't remember his exact name but uh he was basically the guy who eradicated smallpox oh wow um huh. yeah um he's like basically the the main person who came who invented the smallpox smallpox uh vaccine as wow. far as i know that yeah and so he obviously he was uh very interested in the movie and like he gave them a lot of their science and was like you know if this this happens. This is what it's going to be like. And, uh, he's, uh, he's, he's been in the news a little bit recently. Huh. He's, he, he was very, um, critical of the United States mm -hmm. and, uh, more specifically the president's response to the, huh. to the, uh, crisis, um, which I think is warranted, obviously. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, be yeah. careful. You don't want to get deleted off of Facebook. <laughs> For real. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I hate everything. Um, I know. but yeah, sorry, go ahead. But yeah, anyways, he uh, he I can't remember exactly what he said, but he had something he had some pretty interesting things to say about what's to come and and all that. Wow. So yeah, um, there's a lot of information out there. Yeah, yeah. It's uh there's a lot out there. Um how did you feel about like how did Contagion hold up, by the way? I, I held up great. I remember I hadn't watched it in years. Mm -hmm. Um I have it on D V D. Um but um yeah, I hadn't watched it in years, and I remembered a lot of it because it's a very memorable, mm -hmm. scary, scary movie, frankly. Um, but uh, yeah, it held up great. I, I still think it's a fantastic movie, uh, despite how how relevant it is right now. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, yeah, it's, it's a great movie, really good. I love the cast. Um, oh, yeah. Steven so Steven Soderbergh is just a fantastic filmmaker. I'm a big fan of his. So, me too. I, I, I'm growing 
in my appreciation of his of his uh of his films uh mm-hmm. like i like recently he's done a lot of uh iphone filming like the movie Unsane. Oh, really? yeah uh the movie Unsane has oh god i can't remember who the lead was but it's about a woman who is being stalked essentially and it's filmed entirely on an iphone and uh oh, wow yeah it's it's interesting it's like an iphone like on a rig and everything it's like they have like he had it's not like he's holding like his phone up and recording it like a like a <laughs> world star video <laughs> 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 but it's 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 inter- it's an interesting technique and i think he did it recently with another movie yeah anything uh, anything else you've watched um today i watched fighting with my family oh nice yeah which i kind of missed out on mm-hmm. um i didn't watch it last year uh really great 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 movie i loved it um sort of um sort of predictable and um it's uh there's a few things that it got away with that I don't think it earned if if that makes sense but um okay the the characterization was great I loved uh, uh Florence Pugh is just mm-hmm. uh, and uh, shooting star absolutely uh just yes. her her year last year uh was was amazing um which was mentioned by Mike in our end of year review mm-hmm. um she just had a, a, an amazing year um and this was part of her trifecta that I hadn't seen yet so nice. um she's phenomenal um I love I love Nick Frost and Lena Headey too. I thought mm-hmm. they were great as the parents. Um and everybody it was really it was a really just fun enjoyable movie. Nice. I uh you watched that today? Today. Yeah. That's interesting cuz isn't it one of the movies that you gave to me to watch? Is it? I want to say it is. Uh, I thought I was supposed to watch those. No, 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 no. I must have misunderstood what she said. Okay. <laughs> okay, that makes a lot more sense. No, the idea was I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> the idea was that I would pick a day where uh I would watch movies that you guys would suggest to me and then uh, it would be like that that day of like the COVID-19 film festival was programmed by Tiny. Like, oh yeah okay okay yeah well it's uh, funny because i gave you a bunch of movies i haven't seen i know yeah i'm like oh wow when did, <laughs> when did he see midway <laughs> <laughs> um if you want to change all four of them like oh crap by all man. Means, um, okay your day isn't until probably wednesday dang yeah, yeah. i should have been more clear about that i'm sorry um <laughs> Uh, yeah. Uh. <laughs> I will have to think about that then. Okay. Right on. <laughs> um, yeah. And, the hopefully just make them all kind of streamable. So. Right. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I can't remember. Oh, the reason that I've called you to the recording today, tiny. Um, yes. I, so I had like the whole day, like the whole weekend planned of being like, oh, I'm just going to watch stuff on Amazon prime. And then I'm going to record an episode. That's all about the stuff I watched on Amazon prime. Um, and I watched a few movies, but that's going to be the, that's going to be a separate recording for this episode. But I also only watched half the movies I wanted to because I got really wrapped up in watching the first season of Watchmen, which is apparently the only season that it's going to have because they've announced that it's probably not going to come back for a season two. Oh, Um, really? Okay. Yeah. And that's a choice from Damon Lindelof. Like they, like it's just not going to happen. Like he told the story he wants to tell and it's done. Oh wow! Okay, that's from what I understand. 
So, Tiny, I know that you watched it recently-ish in the past couple months, probably. Yeah. Um, yeah, so let's talk about Watchmen. Uh, here's a clip from the trailer. There are people who believe that this world is fair and good. It's all lollipops and rainbows. We don't do lollipops and rainbows. We know those are pretty colors that just hide what the world really is. Black and white. Soon thou shalt save us. And we will whisper. All right, and we're going to go non-spoiler on Watchmen, HBO's Watchmen. Uh, Tiny, first of all, how do you feel about the Watchmen property, the graphic novel and uh, the movie from Zack Snyder? Um, so the graphic novel, I, I wasn't really familiar with it, um, but I remember um, back in 2009, I remember seeing the trailer for Zack Snyder's movie, and I was just like, holy shit, that yeah. looks unbelievably cool. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think as part of the movie, maybe, or like in response to the movie, um, DC had done like an Ultimate Watchmen um, compilation of the um, graphic novel. And uh, it's like, I still have it. It's like this really nice hardback edition. It was like like $100. I mean, it was super nice. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I got that, like, I think like for my birthday or something. Um, And I I read through it, thought it was fantastic. I loved all the imagery, um, really nice artwork, and um, just, just a super unique story that I hadn't really seen anybody tell tell before. Um, so I like the book plenty. It's got so many, so many cool themes in it. Um, and then at the time that the Watchmen movie came out, um, I was a huge like Zack Snyder fan and like it was getting to the point where I was having to defend him <laughs> and I was still a, still a heavy defender of Zack Snyder. Um, and and I, I I'm not I don't I choose at this point I don't defend him anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm still a fan of several of his films, and I still don't think he's a bad filmmaker. Um, I just don't think he's a great writer, right. <laughs> and uh, and he's 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 got a lot of flaws as a filmmaker. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I still think Watchmen is a great movie. Um, I actually watched it recently because Paige was very interested in the series on HBO. Uh-huh. And I was like, well, you should really watch the movie first because there's going to be so many things that you don't get. And she was like, all right. And so we watched we watched the director's cut, which is like three hours long. Oh, yeah. God. <laughs> um, I, I like kind of felt bad because she was like, God, what is this over? Like <laughs> she she liked it and thought it was cool. But she was mm. like, I thought it was going to be more action. I was like, yeah, you and everybody else. Right. Because <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a, a lot of people sort of criticize the movie for that because um, it's really not an action you know, beat em up Batman style comic the, right. or the the graphic novel isn't that way. It's yeah. a very thematically story driven kind mm-hmm. of politic political type thing. Um, but I still think that movie's fantastic, and and the director's cut especially. I think it's really good. It's it is slow pace and it's it's a mm-hmm. slow burn. It takes a while to get through it, but uh, I still think it's a great movie. There's there's definitely flaws with it, um, but I thought all the acting was great. They just nailed all the characters. Um, I thought it was a great great way to capture Alan Moore's vision. I, I, I thought it was, I think it's, I still think it's a great movie. Um, so nice. yeah. I, I rewatched it also recently. Um, uh, before I started the series, um, because like I, I, it's such a unique thing because the, the series isn't, uh, 
it it isn't like there's such a difference between the the graphic novel and the movie and the series kind of picks one i i would say um yeah and it's it's such an interesting thing because like throughout the first like few episodes i was like okay which 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 version are we continuing here <laughs> but uh, right. i did rewatch the movie and like yeah i i have been such a shithead toward Zack Snyder and everything. But I mean, I will say, and I'm, in my opinion, worth it. Like, like, uh, he, I don't think he's a good filmmaker. Just flat out. Just don't think he has the chops. However, there are two movies that I like from him and that's Dawn of the Dead and Watchmen. Um, okay. And even though Watchmen doesn't really adhere to like, I don't, I don't want to say that it doesn't adhere to the, mythos of the comic or the graphic novel because i I actually remember i read your copy of the graphic novel back when the movie was coming out um Mm -hmm. i actually like remember that specifically because i was like working at the one building that we worked at where we were only like there was only one guard so like i remember like what like reading it at that building but Mm -hmm. anyway um and I really, I was really uh, taken with the graphic novel and everything. I really want to read it again. But um, the movie satisfied me because it was, like you said, it was very much uh, kind of a good representation of what was on the page. And that's one of the things that, and that's one of the things that Zack Snyder has going for him is that he he's good at replicating the comic book feel. Mm-hmm. Um, like in terms of just like the frames of a comic book and everything, translating that to film is, is really, uh, a talent that he has. So rewatching it now, um, like 10 years later, um, it still holds up. I, I feel like there was some stuff that just didn't really work for me that much. And I can't really speak to it because I don't really remember how it worked out in the comics or in the graphic novel, but there were some things that didn't really work out. But the thing that stood out to me so much about the movie was the world building and the mythology of it. Like I was just so taken with like the world of, of like that alternate history world. Um, it's just so yeah. interesting. Um, yeah. So I, I was satisfied with my rewatch of it. Um, yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. So non-spoilers, what did you think of Watchmen? Nine se- nine episode season of television on HBO from Damon Lindelof. Yeah, I thought I I have really mixed feelings on it because I thought it was such a it was just weird. Mm-hmm. It just, I I wish I had a, a more more adjectives and more <laughs> descriptions to to describe that, but it was just weird. Um it felt a little it felt like a little bit sophomoric or a little um even it felt like a little bit I don't know. Like some of the costuming and some of the effects seemed a little like, like you know, co- college junior doing an art project for his really? film school. For me, yeah. Like I, it just it it felt it felt kind of crappy in that regards. Huh. Um, but the storytelling was just so cool. Like mm-hmm. we, we were the wife, wife and I were just so. Um, we were just so into it and like, we couldn't wait to figure out what was going to happen next and what was going to happen here. Mm -hmm. I mean, we were really, really into it. Um, there's a lot of kind of jumping around, uh, time wise. Uh, 
which is very very it it gave it gave me a very strong lost vibe in so many so many different episodes it's very um, on brand for damon lindelof <laughs> absolutely absolutely so um yeah so i mean that stuff that stuff worked um and i thought some of the characters were just kind of just kind of strange, weird. Weird is the word I keep coming back to. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it was. I I just really love the story. I thought it was so so cool. The directions they took everything. I mean, there's there are some major characters from the graphic novel and the movie um, mm-hmm. that that are in this, and and it's it's pretty remarkable to see how they fit in and what they've what they've kind of been doing the whole time. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean it's. It's really cool. There's a there's a lot of a lot of cool history stuff in there too. Sort of like the the graphic novel and the and the movie. Um, just the al- the alternative history stuff is is always super fascinating. I think that's what works so well for the story. Um, but yeah, I mean, also a great cast. I mean, Tim oh, Blake yeah. Tim Blake Nelson is just awesome. Jeremy Irons playing Adrian Veidt is like perfect. Like oh I, yeah, I just love that. Um, and okay. Regina King, of course, did a great job. Phenomenal, phenomenal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I was a lot uh, higher on it than you were, I think. Um, okay. I kind of loved it, honestly. Really? Um, yeah, it was such a unique kind of meld of continuing continuing the story of the original Watchmen graphic novel mm-hmm. and con- uh, contextualizing it to, like, 2019 at the time, uh, like ideals like like it does it it takes some interesting um it tells an interesting story about race and race relations and uh to a far lesser extent like police and everything but like at mm-hmm. the forefront it's race white white nationalism white supremacy and everything um playing in the watchman universe and what is really fascinating to me is that it doesn't feel pandering it doesn't feel like it's um like trying to be quote unquote woke um, or anything. It just feels like this is the story that they're setting out to tell. They're telling it within this, within this framework of, of uh, Watchmen. And it just, it fits so well, I think um, in in Mm -hmm. my opinion. And like you said, the, the, um, the kind of characters from the original that kind of resurface, um, like there are some interesting places that they've taken them to. Um, mm-hmm. and I, <laughs> and I've got to say, I, I gotta say, I love that throughout it, we get, <laughs> we get glimpses, glimpses of the show kind of, uh, making fun of Zack Snyder's movie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. With the American hero story thing. <laughs> right. Like it's, it's so, it's, I, I got a lot, I got a huge kick out of that. Um, <laughs> Yeah, but I, it's one thing that really stood out to me, um, and this is maybe because – okay, not to bring this up again, everyone, but uh, Star Wars, The Rise of Skywalker. Um, oh, God. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I, I, I'll, I'll, I'll be nice. <laughs> <laughs> but J.J. Abrams, like that kind of makes me – like that movie kind of – put JJ Abrams into a, into a very specific box um, Mm -hmm. with me. Like it's very much like he is, 
he has his mystery box. He does his thing where it's like, okay, well, I'm going to introduce all of these intriguing concepts and everything and then not worry about paying them off or, or, or anything. So that, mm-hmm. I feel, is what happened with the Star Wars sequel trilogy and everything. Um, and there's a lot of recursive or um, like reoccurring things from past things. Like I love super eight, but it is very much ET. It's, it's right. like his love letter to ET. I like the force awakens, but it's a new hope. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. But anyway, I say all that to say that Damon Lindelof is operating on a different frequency. Um, because I, what I appreciate so much about his, the way that he tells stories, um, and the way that he told this story in Watchmen is that he sets up these things and then he pays them off. Like he puts us into, he puts us, like, it feels like he puts us into act two of each person's story and then brings us back to act one and then before bringing them into act three. Um, and it's just, mm-hmm. it's a really interesting way to tell the story because he still does it with enough, with enough intrigue and interest to carry us through that mister, mysterious part. And unlike something like Westworld, where I got so annoyed with Westworld because everyone on the internet was hypothesizing things about it, and I'm just like, just watch it. Watch the story. Like, just pay attention to the story. Like, mm-hmm. I, I hate that about the era of television that we're in now is like, everything has to be, I, I hate to, uh, uh, say this with a negative connotation, but everything has to be lost. Um, because I love lost lost is one of my favorite shows of all time, but Mm -hmm. people that want to get ahead of the writing of the story annoy me because that's not, in my opinion, that's not a, 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 that's not an interesting way to consume media. Like I would rather experience the story than try to guess where the story is going. Yeah, me too. Yeah. But anyway, all that's to say is that Watchmen didn't, I I didn't have that feel with Watchmen. Watchmen felt like a very well-paced, well-constructed story from beginning to end. And I really appreciated it for that. Yeah, that's, that's fair. Definitely did have that. Yeah. And did you ever watch the leftovers? Mm-mm. Okay, that's Damon Lindelof's other show on HBO. Um, yeah, it ran for three seasons, I think. Um, I think with us in uh, isolation for the foreseeable future, I might watch that uh, in its entirety because I'm just I am just so <laughs> like okay, I'll say it. I like when I was watching when I was watching Watchmen, I kept thinking like if we started a lost podcast <laughs> and then finished lost, we could alternate between like Carlton Cuse's TV shows after lost and Damon Lindelof's TV shows after lost and do that. <laughs> oh my God. So yeah, this, uh, this whole quarantining thing is not working out for me. <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyway, yeah. So Watchmen, I, I really enjoyed it. Um, the resurfacing characters were interesting. The different dynamics at play with those characters and with new characters were really satisfying to me. Um, I really liked Tim Blake Nelson. <laughs> yeah. His uh, character was really interesting. Yeah. His character felt like it was supposed to be, now I don't want to say it was like, it was like Rorschach, but I think more just his costuming was, was a little Warshackian. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, but I I love and to your point about the costuming and stuff, like I kind of feel like maybe that was maybe that was the intention because they're not like costume designers <laughs> like like I don't yeah. think Tim Blake Nelson's character is like, okay, well I need to figure out how to make this look cool. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, but I will say that Regina King's uh Sister Knight costume, super badass. Like Sure. Yeah. <laughs> right. I just fair. wasn't into it. I, I just couldn't get I could not get into it. Um That's fair. That's fair. Yeah. <laughs> uh shall we go into spoilers for Watchmen? Yeah, let's go for it. Okay, cool. We're we, well wow. We're going to go into spoilers for Watchmen. Uh, that'll be that'll end out the episode also. So um, feel free if you don't want to be spoiled, just go ahead and turn it off now and come back after you watch it. Uh, it is available on HBO Go and HBO Now, and uh, you can get that as a add-on channel for Amazon Prime. So check that out. And yeah, we're going to go into spoilers for Watchmen. Here's a clip from the trailer. They were gone, but they were just hibernating. They came for everybody. Home, please. Coordinated simultaneous attacks at the homes of Tulsa PD. So the cops hide their faces, and now the bad guys don't know where they live. And who doesn't want a secret identity? Okay, so Tiny, I don't want to take up too much of your time, because I have the hunt to watch, apparently. Okay. Um, but how do you feel about the like in spoilers? Like, uh, where should we begin? Oh man, um, I think what people are probably curious about, if anybody who's familiar with the graphic novel or the movie, is uh, does Doctor Manhattan play into this at all? Oh, and yeah. uh, I was curious if he was going to be in the show. I figured not because if if they go the route that Zack Snyder went. Uh, it's a full CGI character. I was like, man, that's going to be you know expensive and hard to pull off. And so I was like, he'll he'll probably just be in the background or something, and then maybe make an appearance in the finale or something like that as a cliffhanger type thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I thought the way they did it was really cool. I mean, nice. I think it worked out worked out really well, and um, I think it was like initially when he first kind of showed up in that sort of Vietnam episode where he's, mm-hmm. he's having, having a, uh, a conversation, having a drink with, with Regina King's character. Um, yeah. I, I was, I thought it was a little hokey, but I, mm-hmm. I got over that really quickly. And I was like, I think this makes the most sense because if they went for just a full CGI character and went with like, you know, what what they did in the movie, I think it would have been t- too copycat ish. Yeah. Like they really made the character their own. And I, I respected that. Um, it was it was a good choice, um, and just the way they infused uh, Doctor Manhattan into the story was super yeah. cool. How they kind of took his memory away and made him a normal guy. That was such a great idea to do with that character. Oh, totally. Um, like I said, the storytelling and the characterization was just phenomenal. Mm. Just so well done. Um, that was like out of this world. But there's just I really wish I could put my finger on what it was that kept me out of it a little bit i interesting it's it's some i don't know some sixth sense thing that i can't quite tap into i don't know (laughs) well the thing that i love about that episode in particular the kind of bar episode where it's basically telling the story of of her and dr manhattan slash cal um 
two things stood out to me. Uh, one is it felt so much like the very classic episode of Lost, The Constant. Um, yes. I, I, and I was floored by that. I was absolutely floored by that. And then also it felt like the episode The Queen from, um, from Castle Rock Season 1. Mm-hmm. Um, which also felt a lot like the constant, but I just, I like, I don't know. There's just something about that level of storytelling and intricacy in the storytelling of flashing back and forth to different time frames and stuff. Just, just, I don't know. I, I love it. it. And it's to the point where it could turn a little gimmicky <laughs> um, if mm, yeah. people keep doing it. But I just think that it is really effective storytelling. Um, I, I agree. It has to be used sparingly. It can't be, you can't have a whole season of that. <laughs> oh yeah, totally. Um, right. so, so yeah. And I love the way that Dr. Manhattan was incorporated into the story. Like you said, I was really kind of floored by that. Um, pizza anyway. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, I, I don't know where else to go with that. Uh, well, yeah, I, I mean, I, I think I might've spoiled it earlier when I, I forgot that like, it was sort of a secret for like the first episode or two that Jeremy Irons' character was Adrian Veidt. Oh, um, yeah. I mean, I thought it was pretty obvious. Yeah. <laughs> like I saw uh, right from the beginning, like even when I saw the promos, I was like, I think that's probably Adrian Veidt. Like I think that's probably who he's playing. I think it was pretty much announced. Uh, was it? Okay. Casting, like when it was announced, yeah. Okay. Um, I thought he was great casting for that. Um, mm-hmm. But just just the idea that they sort of, they sort of like put him in like a virtual prison almost. Yes. And I, man, that's just so high concept. So high concept. And I loved the, the way it plays with time. Cause like Mm -hmm. there's a moment where he like, he's like on trial for (laughs) trying to escape and everything. And then like they say, like for the last year you've been on trial. I'm like, wait, what? Um, and then like, the kind of reveal that like that statue of him uh, in what's her face is uh, lady true's like office was him just preserved like and mm. everything is happening at different times. I, I, I love that type of storytelling. Yeah, um, me too. I was really, really taken with that. And I really liked that kind of um, throughout his whole arc where he is not throughout his whole arc, his whole arc, but when it comes time to where he's about to escape and he's about to leave, um, they play the, the score plays, um, uh, blue Danube, blue Danube, uh, that was used in 2001, a space odyssey. Um, mm. so I thought that was a nice homage. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. Um, and then sort of kind of rounding out the, uh, characters from the original story, yeah. Uh, Lori Blake, I she she was like the one character that I I wasn't really that on board with. Um, oh yeah, I I don't know. I thought just her presence was just a little clumsy. I think. Yeah, it 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 seemed like they didn't really know what to do with her. Right. Um, right. Yeah. I'll, she I'll she was good. Mm-hmm. Um, Jean Smart uh, did a great job and everything. I'm mm-hmm. not trying to take anything away from her. Um, and I kind of appreciated her attitude, like she. Uh, she's kind of, she kind of like wasn't surprised by anything. Right. And it's like, she's been to Mars, you know, like she, yeah. she, nothing's going to really throw her off that much. You right. know what I'm saying? Um, <laughs> and so just, she was the fact that she's just, she was so like kind of nonchalant with a lot of things and mm-hmm. she was just not impressed by anyone. Um, that, so there, there were definitely things to enjoy about her character, but I feel like her role and her 
the way she fit into things was a little clumsy. That's all. Um, I, I'll agree with you there. And there was like, when she goes to, uh, Judd's wife and kind of tells her like, Oh yeah, he, you know, um, he was killed by Regina King's grandfather, um, and everything. And then like, she gets like, there's a trap door and everything and she's held hostage and everything. Like there's a whole episode after that where we don't follow her. Like we don't see her or anything. And I'm like, I, Mm-hmm. I I wouldn't like I felt like I wouldn't be surprised if they just like didn't do anything with her <laughs> um, <laughs> if she was just dead or something because like they, there's really nothing to that character which I did re- I I feel like I'm torn because on one hand it's like I kind of I I liked that they did the like that re- like that moment where she sees Doctor Manhattan in the thing um, was was cool like they didn't need to have anything more than that but i kind of wish that they had a little more than that right um um oh sorry one of my other favorite episodes um i don't remember which which episode it was or what it was called but it was the one where basically uh regina king's character is going through her grandfather's memories yes um the the visual style of that episode was breathtaking Uh, Incredible! Really, the Incredible. set work, the um, the design, mm-hmm. the costuming, mm-hmm. the acting, everything was next level. Like that was an award winning episode. Beautiful, beautiful, so cool. Episode. Oh yeah, yeah. Also, the kind of reveal, like they <laughs> that hooded justice, one of the Minutemen that was in the original comic and everything, is a is, right. a, is a black guy. Right. Um, I love that. I I thought that was uh-huh. a really interesting. Uh, revisit of that character and everything. And I, I like how it's juxtaposed with um, like that opening scene in that episode is from American hero story where <laughs> you see him like beat the shit out of two cops in an interrogation room. And then it goes off like, like it's like on a screen and then the camera moves and it goes like the police station or whatever. And you overhear, <laughs> you overhear the show uh, the show within the show say something like, um, oh, something, something like I just heard, I just learned this, this diabolical plot. It, this is the, this is hooded justice's character's voiceover saying like, I just, uh, uncovered this horrible plot or something, but all I could think about was how he was cheating on me. <laughs> <laughs> like I just I love the sly dig at presumably at Zack Snyder. That's like it's just it's just the most surface level, not nuanced <laughs> thing. Yeah. Oh, um, that's funny. I, I love that so much. Um yeah. but yeah, that was that was an incredible episode and just really, really satisfying. Um and just uh, it play it, it's an important like cornerstone episode for the season and for the entire story as a whole, because it is obviously connecting, uh, uh, Angela with, uh, her grandfather and telling this whole like backstory of, of hooded justice and everything. It's just, it, there's so many wheels to it and it's just so amazing how well all of the plates have the, all of the plates were spun not to mm, mix metaphors yeah. or anything. Um, Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I do kind of wish that there was a little more with Looking Glass. Um, right. Tim Blake Nelson's character. Mm-hmm. Um, his episode was really satisfying to me. Um, yeah. I, I, really, I really dug it. 
Um, especially because that was like the reveal of like, oh, okay, we are in the timeline or the version of the story that the squid killed three million people in New York. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. How did you feel about all that? Uh, I thought it was a great. I honestly thought it was like better than Alan Moore did it, frankly, nice. because I feel like that was the one thing that took me out of the graphic novel is I thought mm-hmm. the squid monster was just too hokey. Yeah. Um, there, I, I'm sort of doing, uh, doing a bit of a disservice to the entire vision of Watchmen in general, because I think me complaining about the hokiness to the costumes in the, in the series is not really fair because that's kind of a staple of the whole series and Alan Moore's original vision is that these superheroes look like idiots. They look ridiculous. Right. Like, like look at, look at uh, Patrick Wilson as night owl in the, mm-hmm. in the movie. He looks, he looks dumb. I mean, that's a stupid costume. Yeah. Um, just really over the top. And some of the original Minutemen just, you know, there's like a guy who looks like a butterfly or a wasp or something. They look ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of part of the, part of the mythos, I guess, of the Alan Moore's original vision, you know? Um, yeah. And so I think, I think I, I sort of didn't really, didn't really take that into account or it just, for whatever reason, it didn't transfer for me with, with Damon Lindelof and his vision on the, on this show. I I don't know, but, um, um, but Tim Blake Nelson as, as, Wade Tillman slash the looking glass was a really cool character. Um, I th- I feel like the squid monster was so much better <clears throat> in, in this series. And I think it's because the, of the, I don't, I don't remember if it's in the graphic novel or not, but it's mentioned in the show that the squid had a, the monster had a psychological effect to it. And yeah. That was actually what was what's what's more ruinous is mm-hmm. the long term psychological effect that the monster had on people. You know, it, it killed three million people, but it also has this psychology to it that's that's yeah. that's still affecting the world. You know, mm-hmm. twenty, thirty, however many years later, um, and and that that's that was so much more interesting and, and added such a a whole other level to that crisis and that yes. event that attack. It made it so much more, so much more unique and so much mm-hmm. better. And it was it was through the lens, uh, part of the pun yeah. of Looking Glass, <laughs> uh, without that character and without his his uh, experience, mm-hmm. we wouldn't have that connection to that event. And that's that's what they absolutely hit out of the park with yeah. Looking Glass is 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 bringing that event kind of back into our back into the story because you know. I think a lot of people, a lot of fans of the franchise are sort of, even if they didn't like Zack Snyder's movie, mm. that's what's most recent in their minds, you know, unless they read the graphic novel all the time. But right. that's what's, that, that property's kind of taken over my mind as the defining piece of art mm. in my world for this, for the Watchmen, even though the graphic novel should, should do that. Right. Um, and obviously they didn't they didn't have the squid monster in, in Zack Snyder's movie and I, I was I was a fan of that I like what they did, um, but this the series did it even better I think I think this is the best the best representation of of the original attack and the original the original way that the world was saved from yeah. itself uh, I think this this series did it better than even Alan Moore did 
totally, totally agree. Um, and I, I like that psycho, uh, psycho, psychic thing. Um, yeah. The psychic trauma that, that people experience from it is such an interesting element that I don't think was in the, I, it may have been in the graphic novel. Like it may have been like, I, I don't know, but, um, mm-hmm. the lasting effect of it, seeing that play out, uh, through Tim Blake Nelson's character is really interesting. And I like, also I, I love the scene where he and, uh, the woman who ends up being in the seventh Calvary, um, are at the bar and they're talking and like, little pieces like this where she talks about how like um she loves she love her like her favorite movie is Pale Horse by Steven Spielberg and how it's about uh the uh, it's uh it's about the aftermath of the squid attack and how it's all in black and white but there's one little girl that's that's in color and she's in a wet, uh, red yeah. dress and I'm just like holy shit this this movie just like like re like reimagined Schindler's list for this massive like attack and everything. I'm like, I yeah. was just, I was kind of just, I don't know something about that. Just like that kind of alternate history thing just kind of really hit me in a, in a really interesting spot. Um, it was very clever. Very yeah. clever. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. What did you think of the seventh Calvary storyline? I guess. Um, um, it was, uh, it was a, a pretty interesting sort of, you know, villainous terrorist organization. Mm-hmm. Um, the the loose connection to Rorschach was sort of, I I don't know if it like wasn't earned or if it was just sort of. It, it was sort of a way to it was a way to shoehorn Rorschach into this. I totally, series. totally agree that it like and it it served no real purpose as far as I could tell. Yeah. Um it it looked cool. Yeah, yeah. It's about it. Is optics? Yeah. Yep, yep. Um, I wish that it would have done more with that, um, mm-hmm. like tied it more into Rorschach's journal and everything. But right, yeah. Um, but yeah, the yeah. the cavalry, seventh cavalry itself. I feel like it was sort of, sort of in the background a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I kind of need to watch the series again to really ah. take it all back in. <laughs> but because um, I was just so focused on. Um, Regina King's character and oh, how yeah. that was going to play out and all that. Just, I thought you were going to say the costuming. <laughs> no, no, and, and Doctor Manhattan and all that. I was, yeah. I was just so taken by that that I sort of lost the main conflict, if you will. Well, and that's even that's fair because, like, kind of about halfway through the season, the Seventh Cavalry kind of doesn't go away, but it gets eclipsed by the senator being the big bad of it, and then Lady True mm-hmm. being a bigger bad of it. Um, yeah. So I totally get that. Um, there was something I was going to ask about. Oh, also, just uh, Robert Redford as president. I thought that was a nice touch. <laughs> yeah, it was uh, funny. Yeah, uh, but uh, there was I forgot it was something about the Seventh Cavalry, the villains, and everything. The Warshack. Nope. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. The state of the world in Watchmen, the series, was really intriguing to me. I'll say that. Oh, that's what I, Okay. Okay. I talked myself into where I was at before. <laughs> um, the So, okay. Let me say this. When it was airing, I saw a lot of Twitter, like, Twitter feedback and a lot of tweets about it, and I just kind of turned a blind eye to it. 
But I remembered one tweet saying something like, oh my God, it's a time paradox. And in my <laughs> head, like I thought, oh shit, this show is going to reconcile the book with or the comic, the graphic novel with the movie. And it's going to be like alternate timelines and stuff. That wasn't the mm-hmm. case at all. <laughs> like, no, not at all. And I hate the internet for putting that in my head or I hate my mind for extrapolating that. What mm-hmm. that was referring to was the moment in the episode with Dr. Manhattan and Angela where she like she's talking to him after waking him up and he's like he's standing in the pool and he's saying like I'm talking to your grandfather now at the same like simultaneously and so she's like why ask him why ask him why he killed Judd and how he knew that it was uh how he knew that he was a white supremacist and that he had a uh clan costume in his in his closet and then like the reaction from the grandfather Louis uh, Gossett Jr was who's Judd <laughs> and like I I lost my shit because I love that because she says like wait did I just did I just cause all of this um Oh yeah. Yeah, I just I I love that. Like that type of storytelling. Obviously, I'm a huge fan of um I kind of wish they didn't hit it so hard as far as like cuz like there's like a few lines where she's like, "Did I cause all this? Is this like like it kind of seemed like a little bit over explaining." But I just I love that and I love that it's not touched on at all. It's just like it's just like that's a thing that happened and that's possible. Um mm-hmm. I just I I don't know. I dug that a lot. Um yeah. The big finale and everything and also the just kind of action in general throughout it. Like you said it's not really an action story so much, but like that mm-hmm. episode where she's fighting the Calvary as uh they're trying to take Dr. Manhattan. I thought it was just effective action set pieces and stuff and there's a an assault on like a barn or something in like the first episode that i thought was really cool like gunfight and stuff uh yeah yeah what did you think of that and also the the police and everything (laughs) um yeah that i feel like the the action is is meted out in different you know it's 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 sparse but it's quality like you said mm-hmm. like there's not a lot of it but when they actually do it it's really great and it's well done mm-hmm. um i feel like that's how the movie is too um but um yeah, yeah the the, the kind of big finale um i i was a fan of it um and and what happened i was very intrigued and kind mm-hmm. of blown away um but i know um one of our co-hosts and and friend of the show uh, robert feckus was mm-hmm. very very critical of of the ending and he, you know, he sort of made this, um, this comparison. He was like, look, you know, Dr. Manhattan can, is basically God and can do almost anything. And, you know, he, uh, he easily defeats the smartest man in the world in the first movie and Mm -hmm. builds a perfect clock or whatever he does on Mars. Uh, but in, in the series, he gets duped by a bunch of hillbillies and masks with watch batteries and, and they right. kill him, <laughs> and I was like, "Yeah, that's that's actually kind of a good point." Um, I think there's a little more to it than that, but th- when, when I think about it in that context, it is a little silly. I don't, I, I don't know that it takes anything away from the series or mm. makes me rethink how I feel about it. But I thought that was a a solid criticism that he is kind of he's kind of duped or captured or defeated somewhat easily, I guess. Um, 
it, again, it wasn't dissatisfying. I thought it was great, but um, yeah, I think just just thinking about it in that context was kind of a little surprising. I guess I I don't know if you if you I'm curious what you thought about it. Yeah, I. I liked it. I, I did. And I was trying to find, did Fekus post something about that? Yeah, he posted that on like Facebook like a while ago. Oh, I don't know okay. when. Yeah, probably back in November when everyone else watched the show. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, I was trying to find it, but I couldn't find it. But anyway, um, yeah, he is he is overpowered as a character. He's, he's God. He's a God. Um, I kind of liked... I liked, in theory, the idea of him being captured like that just because it felt like just an inevitability. Like, from the beginning, like he said, like, it's going to end in tragedy, like our story is going to end in tragedy and everything. I kept thinking that, what if it's just the tragedy was that she gets killed and mm. he de- like, and there's no way to prevent it, which I thought would be intriguing, but I don't know. I thought, I thought, it, was, I thought it was fine. I, I, I didn't have any real problems with it. Um Okay. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I have not really good discussion for me. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's all right. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. I thought it was fine. Um, okay. Yeah. I did kind of like that um, Adrian Veidt sort of, as a character, uh, so, sort of redeems himself. I mean, it, mm. that's, what's, <laughs> that's what's so great about his character and what he did in the, the book and the movie is that it's sort of ambiguous. Like... He murdered millions of people, but right. he prevented the death of billions, you know, mm-hmm. and it's like, do the means justify the ends? And that's yeah. something that you can, you can teach a whole freaking college course on that if you wanted to, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's something that you could discuss ad nauseum. Um, but I, I think at the very least, you could say that it's a gray area, what he did at the, at, at the very least. Um, and in this, this series, he, he kind of saves the day, you know, he's, he's kind of more, cut and dry heroic in yeah. in this at the end anyways uh of this of this series and that was just sort of sort of unexpected i guess um and yeah. again just just good characterization from from damon lindelof just great choices i i agree and jeremy irons was was just an amazing uh amazing yeah actor. loved him yeah um yep. and yeah i agree i even though it kind of just i I don't know. I, I like that he saved the day and I like that he saved the day essentially the same way that he saved the day last time. Right. Um, sort of to a smaller extent. Um, but I thought that was a clever way to incorporate this weird thing that they had of the baby squids raining down and stuff. I, I thought that was really interesting. Um, yeah, yeah I, I liked it. I, I love the scene where they're working on that and like it's, Adrian Veidt and uh, and uh, Lori, like they're it's like they're catching up for a moment. <laughs> yeah. Looking at Looking Glass is just like what the fuck. But uh, I just love <laughs> that it's just like wait, you work for the F- you work for the FBI, and she's like, yeah, I'm one of the I'm the top like vigilante hunters or something. It's like <laughs> like just the like banter between them is really good. Um, right. But yeah, but uh, kind of to close out to close out things. There's something at the end of this season, the show that is something that I, it's it's been it's bothered me when movies and shows do this but we get the kind of inception ending of her about to walk on water and then it cuts before so we don't know mm-hmm. 
Um, really good storytelling in terms of the egg, like she's consuming the egg and that's going to be give her, give him her powers or give her him, his, give, she's going to be Dr. Manhattan again. (laughs) Um, but, uh, but I, I just, I don't like that. It just ends like that. I, I don't know. I'm usually I'm good with ambiguous endings, but I feel like that's just, I don't know. It's, it just kind of feels just, eh, whatever. Well, if it were in the context of another season coming up, yeah, um, I would have loved it because that question would have been answered, or you know, it wouldn't have been right. ambiguous. Next season, we we would have known, um, but apparently, that's not going to happen. So, right, um, I, I still don't mind it. I, I still think it's kind of fun. Yeah, that's fair. Um, yeah. yeah, I don't know, but I just uh, really liked the show. Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely worth a watch, especially if you're a fan of the the franchise and and the uh, the property. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Do you think that you will uh, revisit it at any point? Uh, possibly. I don't know. If I was actually going to be home from work, if I was I... actually quarantined, <laughs> I might find time <laughs> to watch a lot of stuff. But uh, who knows? Yep. Oh, well, that's rough. Um, I'm going to have plenty of time at home, so, uh, mm-hmm. maybe I'll watch it a few more times. Um, okay. not, not, I'm not going to watch it a few more times. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, yeah, I was looking for news and everything. Basically, Damon Lindolf says that there are no current plans, uh, for season two of Watchmen, but then two weeks ago, uh, it, okay, so a headline from a month ago was Watchmen Season 2. Damon Lindelof says no current plans but doesn't want to close the door. And then two weeks ago he says he has no ideas for Season 2. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. I don't know. I'm I'm good with one and done, honestly. Yeah, honestly, me too. Uh, yeah. I think, yeah, I don't, I don't know how long I want to live in that world, frankly. Right, yeah. Um, yeah. Will you watch The Leftovers? Uh, uh, I will wait and see what you say about it. <laughs> okay. Nice. All right. Okay. Yeah. Well, uh, I think that'll do it cause I'm going to watch TV. I think, um, okay. any closing thoughts, tiny, any closing COVID-19 thoughts? Oh God. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Stay safe, everybody. Social distance. Yes. Oh yes. <laughs> That's all oh, I can really say. Exactly. And by the way, um, did you see the daily show is doing, uh, like Trevor Noah, do you follow the Daily Show at all? Anymore? Not really. Okay. No. Well, Trevor Noah is doing like um, basically just doing the episodes at home, um, and it's really nice, huh? Nice. I yeah. love it. Yeah. And apparently, like those are going to actually like they were just on YouTube, but they're going to air on Comedy Central. <laughs> um, oh wow! Yeah, and it, it's so weird because it. Like I watched like a couple of them from from this previous week, and it's so weird because like the only time I remember I don't like I don't watch the Daily Show regularly. I'll watch videos as they post it on social media, but it's so weird because it's like they revamped this revamped the in, intro and they rebrand it as the, the Daily Social Distancing Show. Um, <laughs> so. Uh, but yeah, it's it's really funny. Like they had one one segment where he had he did a video chat with one of the correspondents, I guess, one of the younger correspondents, 
And like it eventually gets to the point where the correspondent's like, I'm just really worried about you, Trevor. Like you're you're old and, and I just want to make sure that you're taking your medicine and stuff. And <laughs> Trevor knows like, you know, I'm like almost the same age as you. I'm, I'm a millennial. <laughs> it's it's oh really God. good. Um, yeah. But yeah, I but what's interesting is like I the last time I the only other time I've ever seen the Daily Show rebrand itself like that temporarily was when the writer strike happened and they did a Daily Show uh, with John Stewart, uh, where they didn't have the writers or anything. Um, hmm. So yeah, I don't know. Just interesting time. Definitely. So yeah. Um, all right. Well, I think that'll about do it. Uh, thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, like Tiny said, stay safe and uh, everything. Any parting parting thoughts, Tiny? Nope. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining me on this uh, on this episode of the COVID nineteen Film Festival. <laughs> um, <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. well. Okay, I am now recording. Whew. Sweet. Wow. Nice. So, uh, what's up? <laughs> oh, you know, not much. Just uh, surviving the apocalypse. You good, know. good. That's uh, yeah. every time someone says, or every time I am interacting with someone or want to interact with someone, um, I want them to say like, oh, how's, how, uh, how's it going? Or how are you? And then I want to say like, oh, surviving. Um, like <laughs> nice. <Shaun of> the <laughs> Dead. <laughs> yes, perfect. Yeah. Um, so this is going to be an interstitial recording that I'm going to just put into that solo thing that I'm doing. Could um, you use your ten dollar words? Interstitial. Interstitial. Yes. Yes. Um, I don't even know what that means. <laughs> uh, it's an old, old wooden ship. I think I don't fucking know. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah. So uh, yeah. Uh, hang on. Let's. I'm going to make it. There we go. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna take a picture of the, okay. of the fucking screen because I gotta see it. I, I I'm very curious. It's so fucking. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it! It's, it's like so intense. It's it's fucking awesome. <laughs> I can't wait to see this. Oh my god! I look like a serial killer. Jesus. Oh, that is it's so perfect though. It's so uh, perfect. Um it's still frozen like that? Yeah, it's still just frozen like that. Son of a bitch. Um so I did I tell you that I got a new laptop? You did? Is that what you're using right now? I am, yes. Sweet. So at any point you can get your laptop back. Okay, um, cool. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Save to OneDrive. No thanks. Okay. What you get? Like what kind of computer and stuff? Um, it's a Dell. Um, I basically mm-hmm. went to Best Buy and was like, "Hey, um, I need to start working from home. Um, here's my budget. Um, give me a computer." <laughs> um, and they were just like, "Okay, well, this one's good for this, and this one's good for that." And then they're like, "One thing that people notice about this one is that it has the, like, it has the." Um, uh, number keypad on the right side. Ah, um, oh, I love that. Yes. Yeah, and I was like, "Yep, sold, getting it." So yeah, they were like, "My love to your new lover," because it's Adele. Oh yes. Well, I did. I'm calling you from the other side of the <laughs> town because. Uh, well, hello. Because yeah. Um, from the other side. 
Yeah. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. Oh, that's it's, what you're calling. It's, it's hello from the other side. Anyway, I'm done. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, <laughs> um, yeah. So the, basically this, did you, okay. Did you listen to the episode that I recorded that was just by myself? No. When did you post that? Uh, like two days ago. <laughs> No, 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 I have not. Ah, uh, okay. Well, I don't, like, I've gotten some good feedback on it, so it's 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 good. Um, okay. And everything, it just, it feels super goofy and stuff, because I'm all like, hey, I'm gonna, uh, sorry, I'm taking another picture. <laughs> great, great, great. Like, that is gonna be the cover image for this episode of the podcast. Fuck, please don't. <laughs> <laughs> it's too perfect. I'll, I'll just. I already think I'm creepy enough. I'll, <laughs> I'll just put it into like the show notes and stuff. So it, it won't be the actual cover image, but it'll be in the show notes. Uh, okay, I'll allow it. Okay, awesome. The Obsessive Viewer podcast is edited and produced by Matt Hurt and presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. For a full archive of our episodes, go to ObsessiveViewer.com slash OV archive. You can also like our Facebook page and join the OV Facebook group at facebook.com slash the obsessive viewer and follow us on Twitter at obsessive viewer and at obsessive tiny and follow our recurring co-hosts at I am Mike white. That's me at R a Fekus and at burger underscore lurker. If you enjoy the show, please take a couple minutes to leave us a rating and a quick review on Apple podcasts. This is the easiest way to support what we do and all it costs is a little bit of your time. If you'd like to donate to the podcast, you can make a PayPal donation at obsessiveviewer.com slash donate, or support us on Patreon for recurring donations and access to commentary tracks and B-roll audio recorded exclusively for patrons at patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer. Every donation goes toward paying the fees to keep the podcast running and is greatly appreciated. For official Obsessive Viewer merch, including shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more, visit our Tee Public store. You can find a link to the store in the show notes of this episode and at obsessiveviewer.com slash donate. Or you can simply search for Obsessive Viewer at teepublic.com, T-E-E, public.com. For information about our annual live event showcasing short horror films from local filmmakers, check out shocktoberinirvington.com. And for an archive of all our events, as well as news about potential future events, head over to obsessiveviewer.com slash live. For more podcast content, you can find Anthology, Matt's solo podcast covering The Twilight Zone, and other classic and contemporary science fiction anthology TV shows at anthologypod.com and on Twitter at OVAnthologyPod. You can also find Tower Junkies, a podcast where Matt and Tiny share their love of all things Stephen King and his magnum opus, The Dark Tower series, at TowerJunkiesPod.com and at TowerJunkiesPod on Twitter. And finally, check out The Secular Perspective, Tiny's side project podcast, which tackles current events and life's big questions from the perspective of secular hosts Chad and Amanda at TheSecularPerspective.com. The theme music for The Obsessive Viewer comes courtesy of the band Loudlike from their EP, Mistakes We Must Make. Additional bumper music is provided courtesy of As Good As It Gets, which can be found at facebook.com slash asgoodasitgetsband. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Kitty!